In 2003, writer Ed Brubaker and artist Sean Phillips crafted a noir take on the Wildstorm universe with Sleeper, two 12-issue limited series telling the story of a superpowered covert operative stuck between two warring spy organizations. Halfway between Nick Fury's shield and Billy Butcher's boys, Sleeper's characters walk the line between figures of noir and supervillains. But does the comic's thriller aspiration succeed at offering a new take on superhero universes? Or does it become just one more of Wildstorm's dark and gritty superhero books? Join us as we go undercover in the darkest corners of super espionage. Welcome to Extra Issues. Hello and welcome to Extra Issues, the comic book reading club podcast where we choose a theme and read through a selection of comics that explore that theme. Our current theme is superhero subversions. And this month we are wrapping up the theme with Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips' Sleeper. Uh, This was our listener pick. We put a bunch of picks out uh, on a poll for our listeners. And this one won just barely edging out Mark Wade's Irredeemable. Um, I'm Zach. I am, uh, well, let's see, I'm a, I'm a, I'm here to sabotage Comic Book Herald, but through extra issues, and it's pretty unclear how I'm going to do it, but it's definitely something that's going to happen. Dave, you better watch out. You sent me here to actually, to take care of Charlotte, but that's not happening. Charlotte actually hired me to uh, take you out and install her as head of Comic Book Herald. Charlotte, thank you for being my handler, but also my enemy. Welcome to the show. I mean, you succeeded as make, at making me as confused as the main character is about what's going on in the comics, so congratulations. <laughs> yep, that was the idea. <laughs> yep. I have no Don't idea know where my allegiances on, lie. Don't really know what my noti- motives are, but it kind of just makes an intuitive sense. You know, that's the important part. Sure. We'll talk uh, about it. <laughs> Yeah, so we'll, we'll get into this. I think uh, this might be our first one-on-one big, big brawl on extra issues between Charlotte and I. Although I will say, let's let's try to. I don't want to argue. Obviously, I think uh, it'll be more productive if we just kind of yeah, like yeah. make make our cases for it. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of we slightly have we have different differing opinions here. Um, very excited to to kind of wrap up this theme, and uh, and to finish our first miniseries extra issues is so much fun Charlotte, yeah. are you uh, how are you feeling about the podcast i'm i'm really excited like i mean i'm excited we've been doing this for six months now seven months uh but like i'm excited yeah. to start switching around topics and like yeah. seeing yeah, how yeah. it keeps refreshing itself uh which is like the fun thing about how we came up for the idea general idea for the show um but yeah like it's great to see we finished our first thing, and I'm very far from from burnt out on on it. Like, and it helps that we're tackling very different comics, even if they're all centered in the cohesive co- cohesive idea of uh, of superhero subversions, uh, which I think was very much the the right theme to pick uh, for our first thing. Uh, yeah, I'm like yeah, still fresh. Really happy to be here. Yeah, I mean, I I it's interesting because like. There are other superhero subversion comics that we didn't read that I was like, oh yeah, I would I would be happy to just keep doing this and reading them. Yeah. But like, it's fun to be able to switch up. We're gonna go do three months in like 
YA comic territory for, for the most part. Not everything Molly Knox Ostertag does is YA, but, um, you know, definitely a different vibe than what we've been covering. And then yeah. we'll pick something new and like, yeah, it's it's great. I'm really proud of the show. And uh, if you're listening, you've been listening along and enjoy the show, please tell people about it because um, this doesn't have the same built in appeal as something like my marvelous here people go searching for yeah. i'm gonna start reading marvel comics where do i start and they kind of naturally can come across my marvelous year it also has comic book heralds you know kind of backing it as a legacy um behind it that dave has been doing that forever but the show doesn't necessarily have that so we really you know we, we really rely on word of mouth here so if you yeah. you know anyone who's interested in comic books let them know and like um, actually she's also easier to recommend to recommend just to start listening to 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 friends because like with every episode being on a different comic, people can just like pick and choose which comic they're interested in hearing a discussion about. With my Marvel series, like we have a few entry points, but it's harder to jump on the bandwagon halfway yeah, it's, through. It's joining a club, yeah. right? And you kind of read through, yeah. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh, yeah. So we're uh, we're wrapping up superhero subversions. Charlotte and I are gonna do bonus episodes that are just gonna stay on Patreon for extra issues because. Uh, you get six months early access to this podcast on Patreon at the $5 a month level, and then it's going to go onto the public feed um, six months after the fact. But we're going to be doing a bonus episode at the end of these themes where we're kind of going to do like an award show wrap up. Um, you know, we're going to we, we haven't actually nailed it down yet, but we'll probably do this soon. We'll talk about, you know, maybe ranking where we what we think are the best of these comics we'll probably do stuff like favorite issue favorite character favorite artist um pick these things and then kind of talk about the the entire thing in uh in broad so uh excited to do that yeah and then on patreon we also that's where we do our like when we decide the next theme we already had that episode out where we decided on molly Knox oster tag but that's something we decide kind of like live on an episode so um if you want to hear those extra issues or <laughs> extra episodes extra go extra on patreon.com yeah that is what i should call them on <laughs> patreon um okay let's get into sleeper sleeper is a ed brubaker and sean phillips kind of like two mini series um two seasons they call it i think that's how they actually broke it up in yeah. the season one and two 12 issues long for each of them um if you're not familiar with ed brubaker and sean phillips i think they are probably most known for their work doing criminal um a pretty long-running little like universe of comics it's a mostly small little pocket stories like one-off novella short stories about different <clears throat> different criminals different criminal elements um they do graphic novels they do small series and uh and it's all kind of part of this larger universe they're really widely acclaimed i've read a handful of them they're very good um they also are known for their captain america run the winter soldier stuff which we haven't gotten to in my marvelous year but i'm quite excited to get to um and then this is them dipping their toes into the Wildstorm universe, which we've already covered a little bit on extra issues with Planetary. And it is interesting seeing that, like, oh, yeah, there's a few little things here that, like, link up with Planetary. Not a ton, yeah. but a few. Um, this, it's strange because Planetary, I read that and I actually don't, <laughs> I, I don't see the rest of the Wildstorm universe, like, leaking into Planetary necessarily. It has some crossovers that we didn't read, but... Um, when you read it, you kind of it kind of feels like it's off doing its own thing. This this is very self-contained. You can just read this on its own, but this is much more a meshed 
en- enmeshed enmeshed this is much more inter- <laughs> intertwined with the uh the rest of the wildstorm universe yeah it's so there's a lot of characters oh sorry go on no it's it's interesting to to see like the characters especially from the authority which is like definitely a a comic that i feel like could have been on the on the list uh, and i'm will i'm sure we'll see at some point uh, of like yeah, a yeah, yeah. kind of superhero subversion although i i i don't think i've read it in like maybe 10 years so i can't remember i don't remember how much of a subversion it actually is uh, but it feels like that kind of like evil justice league kind of thing or not entirely evil but darker justice league uh, kind of thing that's mm-hmm. that's interesting uh, and here we're seeing like some of them pop up although i we from what i remember we mostly see them in the like one shot crossover between between the two series and in like the the original series of which uh, sleeper was a spin-off yeah is there a crossover one i don't even know what you're talking about so originally <laughs> like, like there was a series called point blank which was like a grifter series oh yeah and i I read a few of those. Yes, yeah. that's a five-issue miniseries, and that's the first place uh-huh. where the characters of Sleeper appear. Then you have, like, the original 12-issue series. Uh, and then mm-hmm. between that and the second series, you have, like, a crossover of the Wildstorm universe called Coup d'etat, and the first issue of those is, like, a Sleeper issue. I mean, it, it officially uh, is a Sleeper uh, uh. issue, but it's, like, more of a overall Wildstorm crossover, crossover thing, and... The authority has a, a role to play here. It's very much not uh, requ- required re- reading to to get what's going on in in Sleeper. It's more like seeing the characters of Sleeper in a in a crossover. Yeah, I read a few issues of Point Blank. I think it actually is quite bad um, yeah. as a prequel. I was mostly confused, but I also think it's a very poorly constructed comic. And then I jumped into Sleeper like a month after I had read a few of those and forgotten them, and I had no problem jumping into Sleeper. So I don't think that's necessary. The cro- the coup d'état thing is like a crossover between a bunch of Wildstorm things you don't yeah. need. You don't need to know Wildstorm is my point. Like everything that you need to know here, there are characters that come in from other series, but it's like, it's like from the nineties, like Jim Lee days, like Wildcats and Gen 13, like John Lynch. Yeah. Um, like, like it's a Gen 13 thing. Grifter is yeah. a Wildcat hero, but, but it's like, like, you don't need to when know When you that. read like, the boys, if, like they reference many other characters that don't have their own series. And here it works exactly the same way, except those characters do yeah. have individual series and do have a history. But like you don't need to... You get all the context you need from the actual series. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even know this until after I looked it up, yeah. right? So it wasn't like I walked in being like, man, I feel like I'm missing something. Like, after I read this, I looked it up and, like, Tao, who's one of the main, like, kind of the main antagonist of this entire run, was created by Alan Moore in the Wildcats, yeah. his Wildcats run. So, like... I didn't even know he was not just a original creation for this comic. We- so clearly you don't need yeah. a larger uh, context, but it's it could be fun, right? Like it's kind of neat that uh, it links into other stuff yeah. if you want to go like dive out into the Wildstorm. I have to say Alan Moore's Wildstorm career is, makes me very curious. Like that's such a weird combo of creator and editor. Um, and I'm, well, Wildstorm I'm is really just curious. weird on its own because, like, have you ever tried reading some of those like original Wildstorm no, stuff, not the Liefeld and the Jim Lee? No, no, no. It's not. I mean, it's like, it's kind of like that, like maximalist X Men, X Force stuff yeah. that we read for My Marvelous Year that like Liefeld was doing, where you're just like, this is just all about action figure poses and like big wild designs and you know hulky men and sexy women screaming (laughs) and it like it kind of has its charms but i've i've tried to read it and i'm like this is you know the the only fun that i could really like extract from it is just the kind of like 
fun of looking at Liefeld's huge, larger-than-life, you know, drawings and stuff. But besides that, like, as a, on a story or character level, there's nothing to it. But then, and, you know, I'm saying that as someone who only read a few issues. If you if you were big into Wildstorm and you're like, there's way more than, you know, what you're saying, yeah, I'd believe it. But then, like, Alan Moore and Warren Ellis and then some other writers come in yeah. and then, like, it, it's just strange, like, that the roots of it are the <laughs> Liefeld and then Alan Moore was like, hmm, yeah. I could take those comics and do something yeah. with it. Like, that he was even <laughs> interested in coming in and, like, trying to, like, I don't know, salvage Wildcats, but, like, you know, turn Wildcats into something, uh, you know, more adult, uh, I guess. Uh, yeah. Wildcats is a Jim Lee, Brandon Cho thing, not a Liefeld thing, yeah. but whatever. Anyway, I it, it's interesting. The conversation cause... between Alan Moore and Rob Liefeld is all, all I have to say. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. That's That'd incredible. Like, it's, it's Alan Moore idea. on Rob Liefeld's mm. podcast? Just... Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Wildstorm seems tough to crack into, yeah. but I think... Especially now that it's you like know, a DC thing. Like, it's been absorbed Sure, but we've this. read two of <laughs> two of our six comics for superhero subversions on extra yeah. issues have been Wildstorm, and both are totally approachable yeah, from the yeah. outside. So, like, there, there are entry points. Um, and actually, reading this, I feel like now if I jumped into one of those other series, I have a little more context for yeah. some of these characters. So, anyway, so the... Um, the larger con the, the larger like plot narrative vibe of this is kind of a spy noir series it's very dark it's very moody and gritty and violent and kind of nihilistic um it is about holden carver who's a double agent working for john lynch who's like a gen 13 uh like spy master he's basically nick fury he's- in like yeah, very, very, very Nick Fury, including, like, yeah. the missing eye, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, <clears throat> Holden Carver is undercover working for, like, the officials, but then he's undercover with a man named Tao, who's this, like, terrorist, uh, super smart organism. I can't actually remember what Tao stands for, but the O stands for organism. Um Terribly advanced uh, organism, probably. That would be actually really funny. Something like that, I think. No, it's... I mean, that's better, but no, (laughs) it's not that. Basically that. It's basically uh, Holden Carver as a double agent, and it's about him trying to maintain his cover, him trying to escape his uh, being a double agent because his identity has been erased by his handler, or at least his handler is in a coma for the first half of this. Um, You can't break out of it. It just kind of, it's its a lot of like standard spy stuff, you know, it's like, yeah, here's a situation in which um, him and his antagonist are working together to try to find his own file and he needs to get to it first so he can destroy it without blowing his cover that he is looking for to destroy it, right? It's like kind of classic um, setting up like tension, you know, t- tension building spy stuff. Um, the impressive thing to me about Sleeper there's a few things it builds its little universe uh of these like two covert operatives of john lynch and tau the quote-unquote good guy and the quote-unquote bad guy and that um holden carver is in the middle being pulled in either direction it builds this universe and it slowly kind of expands outward like initially i I was slightly lost in the first issue and then by the third issue i had my footing and then it just kind of built up the story and lore and like history of these characters the point where yeah. it felt very like lived in and very expansive by the end of it and it does something that a lot of good spy media does which is that like 
ultimately, like, we don't really care what the actual stakes are. So, like, many, many sp- spy movies, Mission Impossible. Like, I defy anyone who even loves the Mission Impossible movies, like I do, to say, like, what's really the threat of Mission Impossible 4? Like, what are they trying to stop? They're trying to stop the bad guys from doing the bad guy thing. Like, it's not really the point. Yeah. The point is the individual, like, tense situations the spies are put into. Understanding the, like, small-time stakes that have some larger, like, MacGuffin. Like, Hitchcock's spy movies were all about this. There was some big MacGuffin, literally. And then, uh, you know, but it was just about the individual, like, scenes of tension. And then the opposite is true, where the, like, the organization the heroes work for is, like, just generally trying to keep bad stuff from happening and maintain how the world is. Um, just kind of vaguely, and that's also, I think, what, uh, what Lynch, I think is his name, uh, incarnates him, mm-hmm. like, like just yep. vaguely maintaining the, the status quo exactly as it is. Yeah, right, like, that's the, it's something I realized, you know, about halfway through this, where I was like, I'm, I'm really enjoying this, and I'm, <laughs> I'm actually, like, very invested in everything happening, yeah. but I honestly have no real clear solid idea of what like either side ultimately wants right because it's not i feel like brubaker gets that that is not necessarily important you know like the 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 story here is carver being like pulled between these two men and you know his relationships it's not like what tau ultimately wants and what lynch really wants like there's a little bit of discussion around you know they're kind of two sides of the same coin and both end up with a lot of like collateral damage of innocent people but you know it's all ends justify the means and if they both have that point of view then what really matters it's all very kind of nihilistic um but um okay so i think all that works really well i was pretty invested in like lynch and all the spycraft stuff i felt the tension of like most of these scenes most episode or most issues have their own little setup of like here's the mission here's the you know the players it kind of will jump back and forth in time to like set up the mission and then you see it play out i was pretty sold on this but i kind of get the feeling you weren't so like what what didn't work for you i mean so here's the thing it's i think it's already working like working um an uphill battle that's not a phrase um no it is you know no working an uphill battle it's it's fight climbing fighting an uphill battle. battle thank you yeah. Uh, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I'm I'm not really at all into spy stuff. Um, and to be fair, I haven't watched that many spy movies or read that many spy books. But it's never been a general that really works for me. Uh, I like I we were ag- kind of arguing with uh, with Zach earlier about the fact that I find the few Mission Impossible movies I've seen very boring. And I wasn't going to bring it up, Charlotte. I didn't want. Yeah, I didn't want to. You know, I don't want our audience to turn against you that you don't like the Mission Impossible. Listen, it, it is time for me to have my hands. Simonson slander. Um, and I feel like maybe Mission Impossible <laughs> would be that for me. <laughs> they're so good. They're yeah, so good. I don't okay. know. But Please, yeah, so, so that's the thing. Like, they, they probably are just like, it just doesn't work for me. Like, I don't really sure. get invested in, in, in spy stories. And like, this is very much way before... It is any kind of superhero subversion. It is first and foremost a spy story with superpowered mm-hmm. character, yeah. not even superheroes, superpowered yeah. characters. Um, and like on some levels, that's a success because I feel like it's if it was more of a superhero story, it would probably be kind of the boys, but more serious. 
Um, whereas, whereas it does get its own like style. I do feel like it very often, especially in the first series, fall into like spy stuff, like Vegas boring spy stuff without adding adding anything to it, like almost parody parody like uh, involuntarily, and like. And maybe just because I was in the mindset of it being a subversion in some ways, maybe I expected it Which to be a subversion. Not. It's, it's, it's not really, yeah. It's just not. Like, we, we, we missed, you know, we miscategorized this putting <laughs> it in this run. It's not a subversion even a little bit, right? It is just a modern, like, you know, what if superheroes were in a kind of a grim and gritty world? It's, it's, it's honestly, it's not that different from, I don't know, like any other it, it swears more and has more sex than like a modern marvel or dc comic yeah. but it's not that different from like scott snyder's batman <laughs> in tone right um yeah it's it's just superhero adjacent yeah right? but it's not really a subversion but like so i guess in the first half i was expecting it to be like the noir and like crime thriller cliches i was expecting those to be intentional and to be reversed at some point and they never really are, I guess. Oh, no, no, no. So, <laughs> like, Brubaker takes this stuff very seriously. And I think, like, maybe to its detriment a little yeah. bit. But, yeah, it does, like, he, like, he's playing with the tropes of, like, noir with the, like, extremely, like, gritty dialogue and the very, like, nasty, mean-spirited dialogue that veers almost into parody because of how much he like ramps it up but i don't think he's doing it as a joke i think he is just trying to like pay homage and build his own i don't know i don't think it's, he's know, doing it as a joke movie. either it just like just feels like using the cliches and that's it so that just kind of just kind of a cliche story for the first half before there is like a rever reversal and i do think the the second series is way more interesting uh, once there is kind of a reversal of the roles and he joins up the opposite organization and starts mm. actually que questioning, like, his place. Um, and, like, I I do think that them being that not superheroes, but, like, super-powered characters makes it more interesting. Um, like, he's... Uh, Carver's, I think is his name. Carver's book. Uh, yep. Holden Carver. Yeah, Holden Carver's... Um, powers is like he can't feel pain which is a very like fun idea for a main character in a in a crime thriller i mean that that right there is so so you're like you're, you're talking about how it's kind of cliched i i agree like he is kind of hitting a lot of the same tropes of like these spy noir yeah. stories which is not that many like spy noirs it's usually like cops or pis um but he's, he's kind of mixing these things. But, like, I think it's also just... Like, I don't think it needs to subvert those cliches because I think he pulls it off pulls it off with enough talent and, like, there's enough freshness and skill behind it that it's yeah. really engaging to me, I even if it's not, like, reinventing the genre, which it kind of is doing its own weird thing. Like, it's not... This is not something you've seen a million times. Yeah. Maybe it's... I mean, maybe it is just that I, I'm not familiar enough with those tropes and those, like that genre and so when it is done even yeah. really well i'm just kind of annoyed by it because like that's like <laughs> internal yeah. monologue of him being the like i don't know how to explain it but like all moody and gritty and like 
that just kind of annoys me. Nihilism. Yeah, that that just gets real annoying real quick to me, even when Mm. it is done well. So maybe like to be completely honest, I don't think I have that many like actual criticisms. I mean, I I do have some, but like most of the problems I have with it aren't really criticisms of it. More like just it's just it's really not your vibe. Yeah, it's not my vibe. It's not my kind of story, and so I sure. I think, like, the trappings of the genre it works into are stuff that I don't like, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're bad in any way. Um, yeah, yeah, just yeah. like, yeah, I think that, from the start fair. wasn't the kind of comic I was going to enjoy, which, like, makes it even more success in the second half, where it does, like, win me over, I guess. Become engaging for yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let, let's talk about Holden Carver's powers, because I think that's, they're really interesting. He <laughs> he gets them from like an alien artifact from a ship that fell out of the blink or the bleed, bleed which yeah. is the um which we saw actually in Planetary. It's that like inter multiverse space yeah. that can be traveled. And now it's just um, DC thing, but, I think. Like it's just how the yeah, DC yeah, well, they, works. Sin- yeah, since Wildstorm fed yeah. got like fed to DC. Um but his power is that he cannot he basically can't feel anything. He's kind of numb. He feels no pain. He doesn't feel hot, cold, physical sensation. But he builds up those physical sensations. And when he touches somebody, <clears throat> he like unleashes it upon him, them. So he gets shot a bunch. You know, it physically affects him, but he will heal pretty quickly. But he's like built up the pain of being shot. And if he touches somebody, all that pain will get transmitted. I think this is like a really fun... Th- this plays into the noir tropes in a really strong way yeah um of having uh, it's like a literalization of the like hard-boiled careless and self-centered pi so like for example i just just this month coincidentally i watched rewatched humphrey bogart in maltese falcon and jack nicholson in chinatown um bogart especially like could care less about what's happening to the people around him like his partner gets killed right at the beginning he's leaving like a trail of bodies behind him he is kind of smirking and like just cold and callous through this whole thing while also like his involvement is like i said kind of just leaving this trail of bodies and i feel like holding carver's power is kind of that like numb to all the violence and pain yeah uh but it is still being dished out to the people around him like his inability to feel does not affect the rest of the world's ability to like be affected by the the pain that's being wrought by him so i think that's like a very fun kind of canny like thematic tie-in to you know the genre yeah and it it is Um, interesting that like what you're saying about the like i think you said the character from the multi falcon who couldn't care less when his partner mm -hmm. dies and like here it's like he can't feel physical pain but the main thing that brings him to the edge to like saying fuck it all and quitting both organizations is like he's lost every semblance of friends he's had to them they like any friends he's ever had like was killed because of their machinations and their schemes and everything uh, like his friend uh, genocide jones who's like a terrible person but who's really fun um is like killed because i can't even i can't even remember what the exact scheme was but because the, the, it was like being double crossed yeah or like triple crossed through trying to get the queen of egypt's and like the tao yeah. and lynch like the great thinkers are like 
oh, well, you that's just the game, how it is. And it's like, I don't care about the game. You just kill my friend. That's what I'm pissed about. Uh, I think that's like, yeah. that's a yeah, fun yeah. idea for a character that can't, he can't feel physical pain or anything, but like his phys- like mental pain and losing people is what pushes pushes him to the edge, and that's that's interesting when it like gets to boil. But at the same time, he, there, there's a lot of talk in this about how <clears throat> that like pain and caring is often quite internal for him. Yeah. So like while he does like theoretically care about the world and care about people, he. Tao like confronts him at the end of the first arc and is like yeah there's two people the person that you think you are and the person that everyone else sees because like you aren't you know you aren't who you think you are you are what you do and what you do is just enact violence upon the world and leave like a trail of misery and bodies behind you and you know just because you feel bad about it doesn't mean it's not like who you actually are yeah um so that's something that he's like struggling with throughout this I don't I don't know how much that like how much of a bow is tied on that by the end um but it's uh it's an interesting idea that this like you know his his con his like he feels conflicted about this throughout right that he's like there's a lot of rationalization of the ends justifying the means yeah when he's working for both sides here right he's like <laughs> when i'm a spy and i'm overthrowing com- countries democratically elected presidents installing dictators for the quote-unquote greater good like i'm just i think he calls himself like covert imperialism right like um so you know there's definitely like an awareness of just because you work for the quote-unquote good guys and the official the officials of the government does not mean that you are not just like enacting evil upon the world yeah and i do think that because there's a a very good argument that tau is doing just as much good as the cia yeah yeah yeah. and maybe makes a better argument and i do think that's maybe where the subversion comes in and i think it's more of a spy subversion than it is superhero subversion because like the whole thing is there's his like ex-wife or girlfriend i can remember but like ex-fiance ex-fiance yeah who like comes to him a few times and she's like well now you're with that terrorist and you're killing people and children and everything it's like that's exactly what I did before. Like, there, there is no difference between the two. And she's like, well, yes, but you did it for your country, for the right reasons. And it's like, no, it's the exact same thing. And it's like, that's like, that's an interesting commentary on on that genre, that like the usual heroes working for the official agency aren't different from the the enemies in those uh, in those kinds of uh, of stories. And here's well, like, it kind of depends. To the extreme. I mean, if. <laughs> If you if you look at your like some classic noirs and neo noirs, yeah, that's a pretty like not to say that it's not interesting and it probably will always be interesting because it's the real like power, but um, th- there's a lot of that in like um in like film at least. So like Hitchcock yeah. even did that a bunch. Like but it, Notorious it is, pushed is to a the spy movie here, where with like sure, with yeah. adding the superhero thing to it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, like the yeah Hitch, hitchcock did it like notorious brian de palma would like blow out in 1981 like there's movies that are all talking about you know like the good guys are like the cia is very often the bad guy yeah. <laughs> in like some you know like neo-noir movies and it ultimately government conspiracy uh is not like a new bad guy just through this no um, no, no no yeah yeah so like it it's that that works i i mean maybe it's not so blatant and clear like 
there's not maybe not so much like blatant violence in in a lot of the media as there is in this because here it's just like he's just continually killing people and being like damn those <laughs> those are people who are quote unquote on my side but i have to kill them for the greater good like you know he's always killing like you know io operatives which are the you know american government operatives yeah and i think um, like the other side of it is the the powers of his like the main female protagonist uh what was her name great Miss Misery. Miss Misery, yes, thanks. Who, like, mm-hmm. she gets her strength from doing, like, evil stuff, generally. Like, just doing stuff she feels like she's not supposed to or, or is unethical. Like, that's what mm-hmm. she makes her powerful. And if she doesn't... It's not that... It's not just that it makes it makes her powerful. But if she doesn't do it, she gets, like, terribly sick and on the verge of death. Um, it's really... it's That's also, like... Really, I, we can talk about Miss Misery more. I kind of wish she had more to do yeah. and a little bit more uh, of, like, agency and, like, personality. Because um, her personality is really, like, largely defined by her relationship with Holden. Yeah, but which is also an aspect where pa- I was, like, waiting for the, like, the subversion and it only halfway comes, I guess. Yeah. But, like, her powers of being able to, like, her her normal, like... Her, her maintaining a, like, normal level of comfort comes from having to, like, enact her will and violence upon others, um, which is a really interesting, like, metaphor for these, you know, like, uh, covert um, operations, right? For, like, the CIA and, you know, just being able to, like, live the all-American, like, because her backstory is that she's this, like you know, Midwestern white suburban girl who got perfect grades and never, you know, like she kind of stands in for this like beautiful white ideal of America. Um, But in order to like maintain that, she has to like secretly be shoving, you know, like lighting homeless people on fire and pushing people down the stairs and just like enacting this violence behind the scenes uh, on like the most unfortunate people too, right? Like She's usually t- targeting the most vulnerable. Um, I think there's there's something really interesting going on with her. Um, the the other thing I, I wanted to talk about is um, Sean Phillips. I what, what do you think about his art? Have you well, actually before we get into that? Have you um, have you read any Brubaker and Phillips before? Is this your first? Yeah, I think it's my first comic of them together. I don't know that I've ever read another Sean Phillips comic. And I think literally the only other Brubaker comic I've read is, like, Friday, which is the comic he did, like, a year ago, uh, which is kind of, hmm, of like, a YA, yeah. Scooby-Doo slash Stranger Things kind of thing. Um, <laughs> what? That's so funny. I mean, like, uh, Scooby-Doo that, in that, funny. like, kids, uh, kids uh, solving mysteries, like, more Stranger Things than Scooby-Doo, uh, but, like, more of a yeah, YA sure, thing uh, than he usually does. It's just funny. It's just, like... Um... You know, it, it's like having your only Martin Scorsese movie be like Hugo. Yeah, uh, yeah, like, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like he's he's so known for doing one thing, and he's done so much like crime and noir yeah. stuff. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I'd be really curious to see what you think about their work in other stuff. Like, if Criminal would work for you, because there's not a ton of daylight between this and Criminal. I think Criminal is a little tighter. Yeah. Um, but uh, like this, this is. Very similar to the tone of Criminal. Yeah, I, I'm um, curious how much Phillips's art changes and evolves because I don't think it's bad at all, and I think it does fit the the like the general and the overall story 
really well. It's just not the kind of art I really like. Like the the style of the, like character design and the style of the characters isn't yeah. like yeah, yeah. very much appealing to me. Which is like kind of the point. It's it's not supposed to look really beautiful or anything. Yeah, no, I, but, I know what you uh, mean. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, yeah, it's not. It's it's not my like his his style is not my favorite, but I I do generally like what he's doing. I think it, yeah. it works okay, but. Um, I did feel like slightly let down by just the like visual storytelling of this. I think like not a lot of big choices were being made. I feel like we got a lot of gunfights that looked very samey. Yeah. Right? Like you can kind of swap out panels in most gunfights and it wasn't like, I just felt like like there were a lot of big visual choices being made. It all felt very like, here's a conversation between two people. Let's kind of just draw it the way that you would think it would be drawn yeah. and like, yeah, just like not a lot of big swings. Like, fine, looks good, is readable, but like, I, I just felt like there was a lot of room, uh, a lot of like missed opportunity here to like kind of take bigger swings and like how to portray some of yeah, this. Which, stuff. to be fair, is like um, was very early in their career, I think. And like, I think it was like this. No, like 2000, 2005, something like that. Yeah, it was like their I mean, second collaboration, I think. After, yeah. yeah, I guess I don't know, really know the timeline of it but the man was 40 years old so it's not yeah, like he was <laughs> he was fresh to the uh like working on comics um yeah yeah he'd been working since the 90s in comics anyway uh his covers are incredible the covers here are like so cool um yeah i really like all those especially but, in the, yeah I, it, this feels I, I especially think this in the second half like there's one specific cover with a big like stylistic hand uh not choking but like hovering over over the main character which like very cool stylistic stuff that isn't at all present in the actual comic yeah 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 they're, they're much more that's what i kind of think like the uh the covers are super stylized and actually they're particularly they're like not very stylized within the um the comic itself yeah. besides like in the in the lighting and the shading like there's a lot of heavy blacks and shadows in this but um the actual like layouts and the like how to frame the scenes um yeah. is not particularly stylized you know what <laughs> comic he actually he's really surprisingly good in is marvel zombies he draws the first two Ooh. marvel zombie miniseries and uh he does a really good job at those it's like very much his like in his wheelhouse yeah but... oh, I actually anyway so yeah i i think this was like good but not my favorite Sean Phillips here. Yeah. Just like Ed Brubaker, actually, you know, like I really like Criminal and I actually, I quite like this comic. Like, um, I think my expectations were really low going in because Dave <laughs> really like, uh, kind of downsold this on me. He, he really doesn't like this very much. Yeah. So I, I kind of had low expectations, but I walked away quite liking this. Um, but yeah, I don't think it reaches the heights of Criminal part of which is that I think that dialogue, like, I think he doesn't have enough I think the actual plots all really worked for me. Like, I was very engaged with the, like, cat and mouse games that were happening throughout, like, all 24 issues of this. Like, I never really felt bored or that it was spinning its wheels. But character-wise, I did feel like Holden, like, just kind of just ran out of things to say. And it kind of felt like it was looping yeah. <laughs> some of the same sentiments throughout. And the way that people talk to each other felt, like, started to feel a little samey. And, like, I feel like it started to stretch um brubaker's ability to like come up with new clever ways of having this like very slimy grimy dialogue between 
these scumbums. You know, like how many times did like multiple times people talked about being a pussy hair away <laughs> from something, <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I know that's a phrase, like I've heard that phrase before, but like it just feels like you're recycling, like you've run out of ideas of how to say something in a new nasty way. Um, yeah, and the and, I also uh, think yeah. the like superhero nastiness was very i don't know maybe it's after having read the boys it felt very boring and didn't mesh well with the rest of the comic like it it felt like specifically the scenes where they were going into like super villain backstories and like in a full more superhero style than like noir style was very i don't know boring and tame like the 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 backstory of genocide jones of like that one lady who gets powers from stealing well okay no we gotta talk about this separately okay wait (laughs) genocide jones worked for me i like genocide jones he worked for me i I think specifically like the backstory thing that when it gets more into superhero backstory like there's there's a whole like i don't know four page of his backstory and that was like yeah that makes that made it less interesting to me weirdly because Mm. no see i I like those because i i felt like he sprinkled those in infrequently enough that whenever one came up i was always like "Ooh, fun like because we got i think four of them i think we get one for genocide one for miss misery half a one for pitbull and then the one for um the lady (laughs) i don't remember her name but the the one who you know gets her power from gay men we'll talk about that one because that one's the outlier like the other three i mentioned (laughs) are like here are three kind of like serious sad stories of people getting their powers um I think those all worked well. The Okay, so the <laughs> this one is that, like, she's, you know, like a straight girl who surrounds herself with gay men because she just likes to hang out with gay men because, because she was jealous yeah. and the, whatever. You, probably people know the type. Um, but she, <laughs> the, the, the joke is that, like, a bunch of jocks were bullying a gay kid on a field trip in some kind of, like, science lab, and then the gay kid gets... It's very Peter Parker, like they're drawing him like Peter Parker. I mean, the joke is like, it's the Spider-Man origin, but she was bitten by a radioactive gay man. (laughs) Like, that's the thing. Yeah, they say, I mean, they jokingly say like, so you were bitten by a radioactive homo? Yeah. Um, It's very lame. Like, it feels incredibly 2005, just in like, not even offensive, just kind of (laughs) dumb. Like, it's... uh, to me, it feels like it's just trying to be kind of edgy and... I mean, yeah, it's it's very... It's very... I think I said Alice earlier. I didn't mean Alice. I meant... Uh, who Ennis. Yeah, yeah, Ennis. Thank you. It's very Ennis in, like, just making a dumb joke and that being the focus for, for three pages because that's what matters. And, like, I don't think I'll, any I'll of the like, rest of the comic is, is like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is weird. not something... It's very strange. That That yeah. is, like... There's not much like that in this comic. No, no, it, uh, it only happens like, like maybe two or three times, but yeah. There's throwaway lines and little goofs here and there, but for the most part, it's not that like stupid or silly. I was trying to figure out like, yeah, I don't even really know what the joke is there, except uh, like the entire joke, the crux of the joke is so that he could say like, you were bitten by a radioactive homo. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> I guess, I don't, I don't know. It feels like the the whole joke to me. Um but also, like, yeah, it Brubaker... makes the whole comic feel more like, just with that moment, made it feel more like parody. Because even if you just look at, like, the actual, like, the rest of the comic feels kind of, I don't know, more realistic in how the powers work. 
I guess. And mm-hmm. here it's just yeah. like, yeah, yeah. how does her powers choose, like, see people who are gay? Like, that's not how sexual orientation works. And obviously the comic isn't actually thinking about it, but it is thinking about the rest of the power stuff. So it does, I, I think it's, it's, it is worse because it makes the overall comic, I don't know, work less because it's, it feels very weird tonally. It just feels like it's from a completely different comic is the thing. Totally. I, I, I agree. I, I think like, I didn't see, it doesn't quite fit in, but I do feel like Brubaker is trying to have, trying to have a lot of fun with this dialogue and be like, my big problem with it is that I feel it's a little sweaty in trying to feel edgy and gritty. Um, it's trying to like evoke the nastiness of Humphrey Bogart, the Maltese Falcon. Yeah. Humphrey Bogart is incredibly nasty in that movie. Jack Nicholson is pretty nasty in Chinatown. Um, but it feels like it's really trying hard to do that by, I, I don't know, slurs. <laughs> slurs and just kind of like a nasty disregard for social norms. But in, in a little bit of like a teenager uh like who is overusing some swears kind of way yeah i think like i think if he had pulled back on the gas a little bit like it would have worked because i don't actually read this as a particularly nasty comic um no and even the, very... like there are scenes that could ev- easy I, I i mean i keep coming back to the ns comparison but i do think like there are a lot of aspects of this that feel very similar or, like there are choices made that are very similar to any stuff but like in the context of Sleeper, are we different? Like, just the relationship between um, between uh, Carver and uh, Miss Misery, like, the scenes where mm-hmm. they have sex yeah. could feel very similar to, like, Butch- Butcher and uh, Mallory from, uh, from, from The Boys. But, like, mm-hmm. an actual relationship is built from that. And, like, the, the violence and weirdness of their, of their sexuality gets built into an actual relationship that is interesting because of... Like, the way they behave towards each other is anchored in bet- into, like, their personality and their powers, and the two are intertwined, and it makes for an actual interesting relationship, even though, like, the the actual scenes could, like, if you just took the art, it would feel very similar to the boys in some ways. Um, yeah. It's... Yeah, no, I, I kind of get what you're saying. I don't think Miss Misery and Carver's relationship never really, like... Like, I was never rooting for them, necessarily. Um, I kind of felt it. The, the most I felt it was at the very end of their relationship when Carver is like, we did it. Like, we've broken free. Now we can leave, like, and we can get rid of your power and get rid of my power. And she's like, I don't want to be saved. Like, I've told you a million times, like, <laughs> I'm not interested. And you just didn't believe me. You had this fantasy in your head, which is literally how the book ends with him stuck in a fantasy. Yeah. Um. So, like, that that worked for me. But, again, that's kind of more about Carver than it is about Miss Misery. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, like, it worked okay. And it definitely <laughs> it definitely works a thousand times better than, like, Butcher and Mallory's thing. Because that is yeah. just Ennis being, like, Ennis. That's just Ennis, like, getting a laugh in by being like, isn't it funny when people who hate each other have sex? <laughs> isn't but, hate uh, sex funny? Isn't Brubaker also a, doing that? Like, very much not as much. A little bit, but yeah. I think there is a little bit from the fact that, like, they have, like, very hardcore sex where, like, she cuts him and everything because, like, that's the only way he can feel stuff is by mixing... I think some of that is actual character work, but then some of it is for having sex with a werewolf. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, like, yeah, like, that that stuff, yeah. 
Yeah, most the, the comedy stuff did not particularly land yeah. for me here. Here's something wild. Sorry, this is, this is a little bit of a, a side note. He won a Glad Award in 2004. Yeah, <laughs> which is for what? <laughs> um, re- for uh, Catwoman. He did a Catwoman oh, comic okay. in 2004, which is wild because uh, his Point Blank series, the first page has some outrageously transphobic stuff in it. Um, like some of the worst I've read, and some like just nasty offensive stuff and then like the same year he's winning a glad award <laughs> which i don't know what that says about glad i mean it wasn't for that comic but yeah anyway there wasn't here there's there's some homophobic stuff throughout this comic but it does feel like it's certainly just kind of like this world of nasty hyper yeah it is in the mouth of uh, like terrible people like just the i think yeah, in the very yeah, first yeah. issue like a character uses his like superhero card name and like the main character is like come on man that's gay okay well that's also like that that feels again that's very 2005 like being just i don't know it's really funny just the the idea of uh anything dorky like gay being used as a pejorative for just like dorky stuff (laughs) which is so fallen out of like popular usage but that was like high school for me um it's just I just remember that people just using like oh my god that's so gay or so queer but it not meaning like homosexual or even making fun yeah, of it for being just like, like gay. I know how we would use cringe in twenty twenty three basically <laughs> like yeah kind of yeah yeah yeah, yeah. sure yeah that's it's similar to that yeah um, yeah so it's it's definitely kind of a relic because I was like when he says that like when Carver says that I'm like. You're like forty years old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It feels <laughs> very much saying, like, like Peter, Ultimate Peter Parker, written by Bendis at the same time. Except it's like mm-hmm. a forty-year-old yeah, spy. <laughs> yeah, a little, a little bit. Uh, yeah. I mean, Brubaker was forty when he wrote this, yeah. so I don't know. Um, yeah. So this, I, I don't know. I don't know if I have that much more to say about this. Uh, it, I think it goes down pretty smooth. I think it works well as one big thing. Um, I can't really imagine reading this month by month. Yeah, I would have given up the course of two years so fast. <laughs> yeah, because I think I would just come back and be like, you know, they would jump right into the story, and it would be like Lynch being like, "When you double cross Tao by double crossing me by revealing the location of this person last issue," and I would have been like, "Man, I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> at all." Like, I have no idea. And I actually, I think it's really to the comics credit that. I besides the first issue the first issue I was pretty lost and I was kind of like is this comic going to be really confused and like I I kind of felt totally unmoored and then after the first issue it like set the table really well yeah and I never really felt lost again um but to its credit like even if you know aren't fully like if at any moment you (laughs) if you had asked me like so what exactly are the stakes of this moment like the large stakes I'd be like I don't know I think there's fighting over some kind of information they want the data or something like i would understand the tension of this specific scene for the characters in it and i think that's like what's really important and i think that you know that functions really well like i never felt unmoored from like the conflicts of the comic even if at sometimes i felt a little like detached from the big larger war in place so yeah i feel um, like it is it the the clear stakes that are put in the comic are like the personal stakes for Holden, like his yeah. file being fi- found or stuff like that. And I think that stuff is clear and does work. 
And I do think the the fact that we don't really get or like can keep track of the wider thing that's happening is like because it doesn't really matter. Like what matters it is it is a game between um, between Lynch and uh, and Teo. And um, uh, which, by the way, about Teo, like, so he 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 was like a wildcat thing from Almo, and like mm-hmm. he's yeah. some kind of artificial human. Like he was created by in a lab, and he grew to human to like adult size in like a few weeks. And he's supposed to be like this super intelligent guy who just like kind of Ultron type who saw the world and was like, "Oh, you all humanity sucks, and I'm gonna build a new world." Um, that issue, like, when we see his backstory, I was like, oh my god, what a snooze fest. Um, it felt very, like, boring superhero stuff inserted in a, like, more stylistic noir uh, comic. It didn't mesh together well, like, it felt like we inserted a random Wildstorm issue in this. Um, and... And then we go to to season two, and it's more interesting, like because we get to see Teo be in the actual story in the present. And I do think he's like he's a pretty cool antagonist when he get once he gets to be like that weirdly like calculating, but also having fun with it kind of a type of character. Uh, but like, yeah, he's always yeah. having fun, but like he's twenty steps ahead of everyone. Uh, like that's a fun character, but like, yeah, that his origin story felt like. Wait, do do we need to to get three issues of a, of a wildcat uh, story in here? Like, was that needed? Uh, I don't know. What what did you think of? Yeah, the, I don't those know. That all worked. Backstories for for those characters that worked that worked fine for me. I don't know. I didn't I didn't have too much of a problem of you know like Tao's thing of or Tao, I think it's Tao, um, being like playing four D chess of like. You know, not only am I smarter than, you know, the general population understanding the world, then I was like, well, let me go seek out the, you know, the real movers and shakers behind the scenes, the people who really hold the puppet strings. And then I met them and I realized that they also are (laughs) idiots. And I'm, you know, there's a little bit of the comic feeling like uh, I'm 14 and I'm smart because I realized that, like, the world is, like... Yeah, man, you don't even know, like, who the real power is. The power behind the power. Behind the power is, yeah. like, you know, I, I see behind the veil. There's, there's a touch of that to it, for sure. But, but overall, it's also he, so like, exaggerated well that I don't, like, I don't know how much it is very, like, oh, that's that's how the world works. Just, like, yeah, and they're all dummies. Like, <laughs> every... Yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely pulling from real stuff, because, like, yeah. they go to Bohemia, or... They go to Imperial Grove, which is a, you know, clear making fun of Bohemian Grove, which I don't if you're unaware is an actual like <laughs> summer retreat for the, you know, powerful movers and shakers of the the American world, at least. You know, it's like presidents okay. and Henry Kissinger. And yeah, it's a, it's a real place. Uh, and it's really, you know, it's just where everyone all, all these rich and famous jerk offs go to like hang out and huh. talk about how they're gonna you know construct the world okay. um oh yeah it, <laughs> alex jones broke into it in like 2001 which is really <laughs> interesting back when he okay. actually used to be like halfway of a real journalist okay um yeah you should look it up it, it's interesting huh. um anyway so he's trying to play with like some real stuff but there's also not that much really behind it. it's not like hickman when like hickman does like 
uh, what is that? Black Monday Murders? Am I confused? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever that comic is about all the journalists, <laughs> journalist murdering is um, where you're like, oh, you kind of know this world. Like, and you've done your research on this. The Nightly News. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, it's very much. It's more. Oh, yeah. Like, it's more herogasm than it is the Nightly News. Very much. <laughs> it There's definitely a little herogasm yeah. to it. It's somewhere. It, I think it's Smackdown smack dab between nightly news and Eurogasm. <laughs> what a combo <laughs> if, if you can imagine yeah yep. right. i mean yeah um, brubaker yeah, is so, kind uh, of the halfway point between garth ennis and jonathan hickman <laughs> like that's fair yeah i don't remember there being as much like kind of winking cuteness in like his other work uh in brubaker's like criminal stuff yeah so like that might just be kind of like him working in the genre mode. I don't, you know, we'll yeah, see I think like, the when super we get Captain influence, America stuff. Like, and the specific Wildstorm influence is, maybe, I, I think it's where the comics, the comic fails the most to me. Like, just the, yeah, yeah, the, kind of, the kind of Ennis humor, but not, I don't know, not good enough or not wild enough to, to work. Uh, but like when Not it, that I'd want more of it, <laughs> like, to be clear yeah, either. It yeah, doesn't yeah. work, but it's not because I think he doesn't commit like i don't really want him to lean that direction either. no i agree I, I but at least would it would work. feel more like totally consistent i guess uh, sure well like yeah. what yeah i think this comic would work better is, like the inconsistent i'd rather it be more serious yeah than more silly like i think this comic would work a little bit better if it like stripped out a little bit of its like genre cutesiness yeah or like cute I, people might not know what i mean by cutesiness but like it's kind of like winking at genre stuff and trying to like really evoke the like genre tone of the like the dialogue specifically i think like if it wasn't trying to be like so hard-boiled um that it almost it like is flirting around like satire um which i don't think is intentional but that's how it kind of comes across so um i think that's all i got for this comic uh I'm. I was pleasantly surprised. I kind of liked it. I'm sorry it didn't like totally land for you. I mean, I like. I'll be curious. Like I said, like the it's working in a genre that I don't like that much. It does yeah, yeah, like yeah. the when I say the superhero stuff didn't work for me. Like it's integrating into the Wildstorm universe and like going into superhero backstory stuff like that was very boring to me. The like using the powers of the main characters to further their like characterization and their place in the story like that stuff worked really well for me so mm-hmm. i i think like a if it was just like the spy comic and like noir thriller parts with the the powers enhancing it like that would be i mean that's where it works for me the most and i do think the the like second half and him saying fuck it all and i'm doing my own thing like that's there's re- really good tension created there uh yeah it, mm-hmm. like overall it's just not really my kind of comic i do think it's it is an interesting it is an interesting comic i i am more i i'll i do think i'll probably like the there are the stuff where they go either into like full superhero mode with like the captain america or like his captain america because i don't think sean phillips does it uh or like their he criminal does, i think yeah no no he's he's i'm he's in captain pretty america? certain he's yeah i think so okay but like I, I do think but, I yeah. would enjoy the other stuff better. Like maybe it's like just the, the the recipe of all the different aspects of the comic don't don't match that well for me to hear. But I do think there are a lot of interesting elements. Hmm. 
well, good. I, I mean, I'm glad at least at least was interesting yeah. for you. Um, yeah, Brubaker's someone like I because this is really what I've stuck with. I've stuck with like their kind of noirish crime stuff, which is largely what they stick with. But like, I haven't read their Captain America or their Daredevil or their X Men. Um, they did a Fatal series, which is kind of like a noir Lovecraft thing. Um, yeah, lots of different stuff. So. Uh, curious to dig into his career more and more. Uh, Dave just did an interview with him yeah. over on Comic Book Herald on the Best Comics Ever podcast. So go check that out if you're curious. Um, I think that's going to do it for us. If you want to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash year. You get six months early access to this show. Um, I think we're going to end up just releasing this in public on the My Marvelous Year feed. It's not going to be on its own podcast feed. Yeah. So uh, if you want to just go leave a review on Apple Podcasts for My Marvelous Year, that's appreciated. You can just mention this show. If you're uh, if you're listening, that would actually be kind of fun to see um, that people are listening to the show in the public feed. Uh, next time we are covering the works of Molly Knox Ostertag. Uh, she is a contemporary uh, comic book writer and artist who does a lot of um, YA stuff, but not all YA stuff. So we're going to cover everything that she's ever written uh, in three episodes. Her Our first episode is going to be everything that she's done online, her online work. Um, I have a spreadsheet here that you get access to. It's the My Marvelous Year spreadsheet for a dollar a month on Patreon. You get access to it. But I have links to all of her online work. But it's going to start with Strong Female Protagonist, Darkest Night, How the Best Hunter in the Village Met Her Death, Her Lord of the Rings fan comics, and Her Hourly Comics which are um, kind of cute little uh, comedy comics. Um, all the uh, all the links to those are also going to be in the show notes of this episode. Um, excited to jump into those. Yeah. I think uh, it'll be a nice change of pace. I'm going to start on Strong Female Protagonist soon because I hear it's actually quite long. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty long webcomic. So. Um, any last thoughts, Charlotte? Well, we'll you, know, you and I will cover... We're going to kind of have our sum-up episode of the uh, superhero subversion theme releasing on patreon soon but any any last thoughts um no i think i mean like uh, i'm excited to to see what we have to say about like the overall experience of uh, of this first uh, arc of, of extra issues uh it, it was interesting to to see this comic i think it was the farther away uh from the the actual thing we set out to do uh but yeah it, 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 i do think it was a subversion of some way but it was more of a, of a spice version uh but yeah it's working i'm I'm really curious about the white sum universe between this and planetary like it's it's a weird yeah, hybrid thing my uh, interest too. Yeah. that uh, we could probably de- delve into at some point for folks issues but uh not right now the... let's let's go let's go away from superheroes yeah for, we'll take a break a from superheroes yeah. for a while although the next thing we're reading is strong female protagonist which is a superhero comic but... and a superhero's version <laughs> <not>? yeah <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, the yeah, definitely like covering Mark Wade's irredeemable would have been more of a subversion here. But oh well, I'm glad we read this. Yeah. Um, I am I am very curious to see what our listeners think about Sleeper. Um, let me know on our Slack uh, what you think because I kind of like this, and I'm curious if it's going to be like Planetary, where I kind of like I ended up liking Planetary more than most of our listeners. Um, I wonder if Sleeper is going to be the same way. Yeah, it seems like a widely you and, you I think Dave beloved about it. comic, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty well respected, but everyone I've actually spoken to about it has been like pretty meh yeah. on it. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, our music is by FM Skyline. I had to think there for a second. <laughs> and 
We'll see you in the funny papers. See you in the funny papers. God, that feels weird to say. <laughs> Still feel awkward to repeat it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Wait, maybe I should just say, like, see ya. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha